0: Hi there, Sabres fans, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Saber Talk podcast. I'm extremely sorry for taking such a long hiatus, and it was not intentional, it was not planned, but just have had a crazy couple of weeks, and I missed being able to watch a couple games, and it really isn't fair to anybody listening to this show to, to come out and do half-assed analysis, so I... I did a vow renewal two weekends ago with uh, with my wife. We went home back to the Buffalo area. it was in Hamilton, Ontario, and I was away in Dallas for seven weeks. That weekend was in the middle of that seven weeks, and I was keeping up with the podcast pretty well during that time. But you know it there were just so many games there right in a row and I had all these other obligations I missed the games wasn't able to have enough time to, to watch them so I wasn't doing the wasn't doing the podcast wasn't keeping up with it and I really apologize for that but uh, there is a lot to talk about a lot to be excited about and I'm hoping to be able to do these pretty consistently the rest of the way down the stretch so I think the biggest development since my last podcast a couple weeks ago has been, you know, O'Reilly was out at that time, but I think Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt have turned it on that much more over over this last stretch of games and have really stepped up with O'Reilly out. And the question with, I guess the question with both of them, with Reinhardt it was, is he a product of, of Ryan O'Reilly, which seemed, seemed to be what a lot of people were saying. and It makes sense at the beginning of the year, you know, O'Reilly's been a been – a, I've been an upper echelon NHL player for a while now, and Sam Reinhardt's a rookie, comes in, finds a niche on O'Reilly's wing, starts to produce offensively. O'Reilly's producing really well offensively, so it makes sense to say that Reinhardt may be a product of O'Reilly. And with Eichel, you always kind of had o- O'Reilly sheltering him, so Eichel was in the second line role, was able to get more Offensive zone starts, and O'Reilly would take the tougher matchups typically. Uh, so, so you could, with the presence of O'Reilly, you could discount the performance of, of both Eichel and Reinhardt. However, with O'Reilly out, that excuse goes out the window, or that you know that crutch to to discount Eichel and Reinhardt goes out the window. And I think looking at what Reinhardt's done since O'Reilly went out, what he's done all year, you can really make an argument that he's been their best forward this year. And I know a lot of people would be surprised to say that or t- to hear that being said. If you'd said that at the beginning of the year and predicted that at the beginning of the year, people would have said that, that you're insane. But, I mean, if you look at the, if you look at the metrics, if you look at, at puck possession, he's the best forward on the team. If you look at points per 60 minutes, he's the best forward on the team. And he's been able to, to play on several different lines, been able to fit in everywhere. He's played both center and wing. He when he was playing with O'Reilly, that was O'Reilly's best best offensive stretch of his season. And you can make the argument that that he's been their their best forward. I don't know if you'd say he's their most valuable forward. You may have to say O'Reilly because of what he's done all year being able to kind of shelter the other guys. Or you could say Eichel because he brings that dynamic talent that they don't really have anywhere else on the on the team that they haven't had. This franchise hasn't had that in in years. I mean you can even you could even say in in decades. So you can say maybe Reinhardt hasn't been their most valuable forward, but if you look at based on performance, he may be their their best forward thus far this year. It's pretty hard to argue though. I mean there is an argument there, and it would be pretty contested with, with Reinhardt. But it's very hard to argue that Eichel isn't the most dynamic forward on this team. I I think it, Virtually any Sabres fan would tell you that anybody that's been watching this team and for a franchise That's really struggled to score goals for a long time. We needed this kind of dynamic talent sorely And he's a guy that can take over a game by himself and I've been saying that all year But I think you're seeing the flashes come at much smaller intervals. So maybe before they were they were fewer and And farther between, but now they're coming multiple times in a single game, where you're seeing him being able to single-handedly create a chance, or you're seeing him really try to try to take over the course of it the course of a game. And you're seeing this happen on a nightly basis now, which is which is great to see. And that's what that's what you hope to see. For a rookie coming from the NCAA, you always worry is he going to be able to keep up, keep up his level of play, level of play over the course of an 80, eighty-two game season? And largely, he's gotten better as the season has gone on, which is the progression that you hope from a rookie. And it means that he came in well conditioned. He did have a rough stretcher on Christmas time, but I think that I think that uh, the break in games at that point. Now, I remember that's right when I started doing these podcasts, and that's what I said. I was hoping coming out of that Christmas break that that, that they had it was about a you know 6 days off or 5 days off or something like that that he came back and was able to be well re- rested for the rest of the season that, that that break was extremely important and i think that largely he's he's come out of that break and played well pretty consistently since then like any rookie he's had his ups and downs here and there he's had some stretches where you know he was having trouble scoring for a little while but i think it's been it's been night and day and You always worry about that with a college player. Is he going to come in and start strong for the first 40 games and then peter off the the rest of the season? And he hasn't done that. And he's really stepped up when they needed him the most with O'Reilly down. And, you know, you were starting to think, and this team still does have trouble scoring, but you were starting to think, can this team score at all? Now with O'Reilly out and now with really, you know, these these two rookies, you have to lean on so much. They already were leaning on them a ton. But he's done everything that – that I think you could have possibly asked for. And any Sabre fan in the offseason, if you had been told, this is what Eichel is going to produce, you would be beyond thrilled. And I'm, I'm thrilled, and I'm really excited to see what he does with a full season next year. And you've got to think they're going to bring in at least one more winger, maybe somebody from the draft, depending on where they end up picking could be a free agent or a trade acquisition, but I think the the forward group will be stronger. Obviously, Ike will be another year older. At that age, being another year older is huge. Um, Reinhardt will be another year older. Uh, and you'll kind of have had a year already to, to sort out some of the chemistry issues that were there early in the season. And Bilesma has still moved the lines around extensively more than I would prefer, but It made sense at least at the beginning of the year when it was all these new players jumbled together, and you've got to try to find what works and what doesn't. And I think you won't have the same level of that kind of flux to start next year because the forward core, you know, you're probably going to have at least nine guys back or something like that, barring a huge trade. But I think you're going to have at least that many guys back, if not, you know, ten or eleven, back from this core forwards, and you might have. You might have two or three that are that are different from the guys that have been here all year. Um, another great development and in my previous podcast, this line's been good for a long time, uh, but the Foligno-Larsen-Gianta line, they've continued to play very well. They've had tough matchups and they've had tough matchups really this whole time. They've been not always the go-to defensive line, but but in most instances they they have been and it depends on matchups and depends on who's out and what the other lines look like but they've pretty they've played tough matchups pretty consistently and they were playing well in terms of puck possession and doing what you want a third line to do back as of a couple weeks ago when I did my last podcast but I think they've they've begun to produce more offensively recently and I think you've seen Felino take another step forward, continue his high-level play. I think this is the longest stretch of, of high-level play that that Buffalo fans have seen out of Felino. I think this stretch of good play is even longer than that stretch when he first came up, that Felino and a Stafford line that was producing so well. He hasn't produced at that kind of pace, but I think this has been a longer stretch of good play. Inconsistency is always the thing that, that we're going to worry about with him. But it leads me to believe that at least those bad stretches are going to be are going to be fewer and further between than they have been in the past. Uh, Larson, he's been great. He's been exactly what you want a third line center to be. Obviously, he doesn't produce much offensively, but I think that that's the way that third line centers are going, and you're seeing it. It kind of reminds me of the of the early 2000s prior to the lockout and the third line centers that you saw in that era, and I. Larson really reminds me of of Sammy Paulson, and he seemed to be the quintessential third-line guy for for a while during during that era. And he just reminds me a lot of him. And I think I've heard that comparison before, so don't give me credit for that if you think that's a really good comparison. Uh, Obviously, they're both Swedish, so that helps. But he also didn't produce much offensively, but that was in another very low-scoring era. And you're starting to see it go more that way now you know maybe coming out of the out of the lockout you know 0506 and in in those few years when the sabers were scoring like crazy and the league as a whole there were there was a ton of scoring at least relative to, to to today um then you might have seen more teams where you had three centers three lines that you really that were producing a lot offensively the sabers were uh, were great evidence of of that you know with the with the vanic Roy finnegan offline uh, being a great example of a of a scoring third line, you don't see a ton of that nowadays. And I think now with scoring lower, you're seeing the third line being almost always a line that's going to be leaned on, def- leaned on defensively, and isn't going to be counted on to to score much at all. Uh, and I don't have a I don't have a problem with that one way or another. You know, as as a fan, I would like to see more scoring than there is now, but I think it makes sense and it. It coalesces better, I think, with the kind of old-time traditional hockey view of the third line. Uh, so with the way the league's gone, I think at least with Foligno and Larson, you have the beginning of a great third line there. And Gianta obviously isn't a long-term piece, especially if this line keeps it up the rest of the season. You've got to think that, that they're going to be together again next year. But Gianta only has one year left on his deal, you've got to think he's going to retire – after next year, I can't imagine him coming back because he's not gonna be able to get the kind of payday that he's had recently. And for a small guy like that, it's incredible he's lasted this long. So maybe you can see somebody else step in as the third piece of that line. Maybe it's somebody not in the organization. Maybe somebody like Hudson Fashing finds a niche on that line. That'd so be great to see him become a top six winger. Uh, it could be Gergensen's if he doesn't really find his offensive touch again, and depending on who else they acquire. Maybe Gergensen's push out of the top six—that would be an incredible third line if you had Gergensen's running with Felino and Larson. But it's it's just awesome to see you're starting to see pieces of this lineup come together, and I think at least with the Felino Larson part, long term, they can be a, a, a pairing. Bilesma talks about that, talks about those pairs a lot. I think they can be a pairing moving forward, and that's exciting because I think with Felino I wasn't sure where to stand on him at the beginning at the beginning of the year. I was kind of ready to trade him because he went through a long, bad stretch and just he's had so many long, long invisible stretches. But to see them coming together has been, has been awesome. Another big development in the forward ranks, Ryan O'Reilly is coming back for Wednesday night's game, and I probably should have opened with that uh, because that's the most important news right now. But uh, he's, he's coming back to, to suit up against the Habs. Kane is gonna move next to O'Reilly, so he's coming off the um, he's coming off the Eichel and Reinhardt line. I'll talk about Kane in a minute. Um, because he's he impressed me quite a bit playing on that playing on that line. Gurgensons, he's gonna slide into the Eichel Reinhardt line. So basically is gonna replace Kane, then it's gonna be Kane O'Reilly, and Delorier is gonna be the other winger on that line. Kane, I also wanted to talk about while well, I'm kind of sticking with forwards, but uh, he fit in really well on that Eichel Reinhardt line when when he played there. And I think the biggest thing with him is you're seeing you're seeing him mesh with his teammates, with his line mates, much better than he did at the beginning of the year. And he's had a lot of trouble playing next to Eichel. They really haven't meshed much at all. But this time they did, and I think it's hard to say whether that's because Eichel has taken a, a jump forward since earlier in the year when Bilesman was really trying to push the whole Kane Eichel combination, or if it's because Reinhardt Reinhardt was there and he's been such a great glue guy for this lineup all year. So it's really hard to say who you know who you can give the credit to. Uh, you really could probably give credit to all three. Maybe Kane trying to trying to change his game a little bit, knowing that he can't play the exact same way. When he's on one line versus another, and he's got to change based on the styles that he's playing with, whether it's Eichel now just being more, much more dominant, or whether it's Reinhardt now being that ultimate glue guy. Uh, but it's it's been great to see from from Kane, and that he's not just uh, you know the tunnel vision, fly down the wing, take a take a shot on goal, and he you know he's always brought his his talents to the table and. He's been a net positive pretty much all year, and anybody that says otherwise, I think is being very unfair to him. But I think he's adding more and more to his game and bringing more to the lineup than just his speed, which he always brought. Um, his forecheck ability, really, his ability to, to single-handedly have a have a qual have a quality forecheck and initiate a quality forecheck. He's always able to bring that to the table. Uh, but now that he's able to. Bring a little bit more of an of an offensive game, and to to complement the the styles of, of the of the players he's playing with. It's been great to see, and it'll be it'll be great to see if he can do that moving forward. And we'll see. I mean, Gurgenson's he's played great on Eichel's wing. That's been where he's played his best all year. So it makes sense why they want Gurgenson's up there. I'm kind of you know, I'm kind of partial to not breaking up what's been working, but. Makes sense if you want to get Gurgenson's going, put him up there, and Bilesman once again with his pairs. If you want Kane and O'Reilly to be a pair, makes sense. You move Kane, keep Eichel and Reinhardt together as a pair, and Gurgenson's makes sense if if that's how you're looking at the looking at the entire lineup. It kind of sinks that Delaurier has to be up there, and I I like Delaurier and what he brings and what he is, but he shouldn't be on a line with with Evander Kane and Ryan O'Reilly but with injuries there aren't really a lot of other options and with Matt Molson and how he's continued to really bring very little to the table I don't think you can put him up there and justify putting him up that high in the lineup and playing the kind of minutes that the kind of even strength minutes that that line's going to play I don't think you can justify that but it really shows how far he's fallen where he isn't really a realistic option to play in the top 6 even with even with the kind of injuries that they've had. And they've, Biles must continue to try him a little bit here and there with with more skilled players, but I think he's stapled to the fourth line, at least for the rest of this year. And we'll see, maybe next year he has a resurgence, but I think it's going to be even harder to come by minutes next year. If they get a winger in the draft, it depends on where they draft. You know, right now they're in sixth last, so if they're picking at that in that area, you know, six, seven, somewhere like that they probably aren't going to get a winger that, that's going to step right in next year. Assuming they draft a winger, too. They very well could draft a, a, a defenseman. But if they bring in a winger from the draft, they're probably going to look for one in the free agent and uh, trade markets. So I think it's even harder for Matt Wilson to find a role next year. And you, he may not be in the top 12 forwards on this team. He might be a healthy scratch. They may try to send him to Rochester, I mean it's it's tough and he's a he's a very likable guy, and i I want to see him succeed, but he just has not brought much of anything to the table this year. So it's gonna be interesting to see how how that plays out now that there there have been some comments back and forth, Murray being critical of, of Molson's training habits and uh Molson coming out saying that that's not an issue. you know, maybe there could be some bad blood either developing or that has already developed behind the scenes. So enough about the forwards, I won't go too much deeper into that, but I think a lot of good developments in this in this last couple weeks. When it comes to the defense, I think Rissalainen, he's been pretty on and off recently, and that that's the same sentiment I had when I was talking about him in the podcast leading up to my little hiatus there. I think still the, the pressure of him being leaned on as much as he has been all year has just worn him down, and it, it's understandable. I I think it's easily explainable, and nobody is going to fault him over the long term for for somewhat folding under the pressure. I don't know if folding is the right word because he's still had his his flashes of, of good play. But I think going into next year, first of all, having this year as a learning experience is going to be huge for him. And defensemen take time to develop, and it's it's pretty unrealistic to expect the guy at his age to already be a perfect number one defenseman that's not gonna go through his his rough stretches. But I think it's extremely important that Murray's able to bring in a better partner for him next year. And maybe Murray doesn't directly bring in a better partner for him, but maybe brings in somebody that allows another player to move up the lineup to play with wristline. I've been advocating this all year, but I think putting a guy like Mark Pesic next to him on the left side they played together with Rochester last year. Um, sorry, two years ago, um, not last year. But they, they played together, and I just think Georges is a liability up there. And As much as I like him, much as I respect Georges, and what he's been able to do as an undrafted player, and he's been a warrior for a long time in this league, and he's much older in NHL years than I think his, his age would indicate just because of all the shots that he's blocked and the type of style he's played at his size. But he doesn't belong on... A top pair and if you expect that top pairing to play well and to be able to be leaned on game in game out for the type of even strength minutes that you want your first pairing to play, Josh Georges can't be on that pairing and you know I'd hoped maybe they'd be able to move Georges at the deadline. I didn't the contract is pretty bad so I'm not surprised that they weren't able to with a lot of the teams that are contending are up against the cap and they've got to be very careful about money that they add beyond this year. And Georges still has two more years left on this deal. Uh, so the Sabres probably would have had to retain money, and I wouldn't be surprised if Murray was loath to retain money on a deal. So I'm not surprised. I don't know how much conversation there was. But he needs to be in a role more like a, a, a third-pairing role, like a number five or a number six, I think, to really to really look adequate. And it's not that, he, not that he plays terrible game in, game out, but he just doesn't bring the type of... It's not even dynamic play, but the kind of game-changing play that you expect out of out of a first pairing defenseman. I think that you that you need next to Ristolainen if you want that to be a dominant pairing. You you don't need Shea Weber next to Ristolainen. You don't need to go out and you know trade away the farm to bring in a number one defenseman. Though if there is a deal out there for somebody like that, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to exploring it. But I think just a capable top four defenseman next to wrist line, it would make a huge difference next year, and. I think you want someone steady. Um, somebody physical would be nice. I think and I think his orientation is going to be typically more toward stepping up in the play offensively, and I and I like him more in that role. And I've seen more. I've seen a lot of people saying that he, they see him becoming like this big bad Chris Pronger type. I just I don't see that. Now he he has his stretches of physical play, and he's not soft by any means, uh, but I think that he's gonna typically be more of a finesse guy. He can be elite in, in the defensive zone without being physical, without killing people, without you know being somebody that other teams are afraid of, but I think if you can put somebody steady, safe, um, next to him, and somebody that has a physical edge would be ideal, that's why maybe, maybe Pesic isn't the right long-term partner for him. I'm just looking at options on the roster but can allow him to step up more into the play. And I think Ristolani's been much better in the offensive zone. He's been much consistently better, much more consistently better in the offensive zone this year than he has been in the defensive zone. I think he's had many more lapses in the defensive zone. And I think if you look at his offensive production versus his defensive metrics, it it bears that out. Uh, He has benefited from a much better power play this year. That's one of the reasons why his offensive production is significantly better. But I think having a partner for him is going to be important. Maybe good Bogosian could be a long-term partner. I know they tried that earlier this year. I think he struggles on the left side. Bogosian has played much better being next to Jake McCabe. Maybe McCabe could be that guy. I'm going to talk about him next, but I think um, that he would complement Ristolina pretty well because I think McCabe, he plays this aggressive, pretty physical style for his size, but he also isn't huge about jumping up into the offensive zone. He doesn't have tremendous offensive instincts. Uh, I might as well talk about McCabe next, but I think he stepped up his play a lot recently, and I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that he's going to be a top four defenseman moving forward. And I think a guy that plays the type of game that he does, which really depends on aggression and skating, I would say those are t- two of the biggest things. He, he depends on challenging guys and using his very good skating ability to keep up Um, and to to push forwards into making mistakes. Um, I think playing that kind of style may take a little bit longer than other defensemen to adjust to the NHL game, which maybe explains why he had the kind of ups and downs that he had earlier this year. And I've got to hope that going into next year, with all that he's learned this year, I like that they kept him up. He sat for a little while. Um, I know I had advocated at one point, maybe he should go down to Rochester for a little while, but they, kept him up with the Sabres, kept him up practicing with the big club, scratched him a few times. But he's looked much better recently and he hasn't been without his without his bad showings and he still is he still can be you still can get bad Jake McCabe on occasion. But I think that he's become good Jake McCabe is, is consistently showing up much more often than he was earlier this year, so maybe he could be a long-term partner for Ristolainen. I don't know what his ultimate upside is. I don't think he has huge offensive upside. Um, he's got like all the tools that, that you would look for uh, for somebody to, to, to produce offensively, but I don't know if he has the instincts necessarily. And I think that those skills, those tools, which is the aggression and the skating, all of that may are probably going to show themselves much more on the defensive end than on the offensive end. When it comes to Bogosian, I know I'd mentioned him. I think his play has picked up recently, as McCabe has been more good than bad. Those two earlier in the year, they tended to drag each other down because they were both playing poorly much more often than they were playing well. I don't know who, I don't know if one or the other is more to blame, but together they've been more good than bad recently. And I'm still not sure if Bogosian, if his defensive positioning decision making are ever gonna be good enough to really be a number three, which I think is what they expect him to be, the way they're paying him long term, to be that type of defenseman on a cup contender. But the Sabres are invested in him. So we've got to see if if he can figure it out maybe next year not having that type of long term injury. He can there isn't gonna be that that adjustment period coming back to the lineup. So you gotta hope, but he has had injury issues throughout his career. And I would be open to moving him in the right deal. And I think maybe one of these guys is going to have to be moved. One of you know, and McCabe, Pesic, Bogosian. I'm not sure if all, if all of them, are going to be here, long term. I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but it also depends on who gets picked up and what kind of trades are out there and all of that. But. Bogosian, I I would move in the right deal because I'm not sure he's been in the league long enough now where I don't think those kind of issues are are just going to smooth themselves out. And when you talk about McCabe's issues, I think there's still plenty of time for him to adjust and for him to to reach his ultimate upside. But Bogosian, though he is still young in terms of, you know, his age, he's been in the league since his first post draft season. And at this point I think there isn't, really, there isn't really much of a ceiling left beyond where he is now. Pesek, isn't really m- much to say about him. He continues to play a pretty smooth, steady game, and I think he's the the perfect long-term number four. And he, I mean, it's maybe not fair to Reinhardt to make this comparison, but Pesek almost reminds me of, like, the Sam Reinhardt defensively, where he can be the glue guy that can really play with any partner. And... If you want him to play with a more with a more offensive guy, great, you know, he's pretty safe and steady and he he's going to be able to cover up on occasion for that guy jumping up into the play. Or if you're playing with a more physical guy, it makes sense because you complement a more physical guy that, you know, maybe sometimes more physical guys are going to maybe take them, take themselves out of position a little bit more to to make that big hit, send that message. Mark Pesek, smooth, steady game. Would be perfect as as that player's partner too. So he's a good glue guy, and you don't really necessarily need him to play with a particular partner or a particular type of partner. So the, the the defense, I'm still concerned about it. There's still it's work to be done there, but there is some promise. And I think when you've got a couple, when you've got several young defensemen like they have, you you need to expect ups and downs and a lot more downs than ups and that's pretty much what you've seen this year i think it's it's a lot harder to win with a defensive core core that young than it is with a forward core as young as the sabers is the forwards tend to adjust quicker and age is as much of an issue for forwards as it is for defensemen but it'll be fun to watch their progression and and it has been fun so far this year despite their <laughs> despite how frustrating they can be at times uh, when it comes to goaltending, Leonard, he's continued to play great, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he'll be able to do next year. He certainly certainly has the talent to be elite if he can stay healthy. That's, that's the big question with him is can he stay healthy. But uh, his, his rebound control isn't always incredible. Uh, he definitely doesn't have elite rebound control. But he does have elite size. I think at that size he has elite or close to it athleticism and he's got a great glove hand covers a lot of the net, tends to be in pretty good position uh, he can go through stretches where his his positioning starts to deteriorate a little bit but I think overall he's got all the tools that you want to see from a potentially elite goalie and with the way he's played I have, I have no complaints had a couple poor games but overall his numbers look great he's had many more good games than bad he's been playing behind a a lineup that has a has a young defense that struggles a lot uh, he, for a lot of the time since he's come back he's been without the the forward core has been, been without their rock solid two-way center in Ryan O'Reilly that plays a huge role so i've been very impressed with his play and for him to be able to have a full off season hopefully coming in next year healthy i think not that the sky is the limit, but I think that there is a lot of potential for him to have a have a tremendous year next year. You know, get his sixty plus starts. Chad Johnson also he he's done what done what you need out of him as the backup. I think he's he's played pretty well recently too, and I wouldn't be opposed to bringing him back if if you want Linus Olmark to be down in the AHL, getting a lot of starts. I'm hoping Cal Peterson will be back in Notre Dame for another year. And if if they want to bring in a veteran backup and you can have Kasdorf and Olmark splitting time down in Rochester, I think that would probably be ideal for everybody's development. If you bring Peterson in, now I think there's more pressure to bring Olmark up as the backup because you want Peterson to get time because he is a a very good prospect. Um, And if you keep Olmark and Peterson down in Rochester, you may have Kasdorf being the... Being the odd man out, not getting games, or you know, being down in the ECHL, and that wouldn't be ideal either. So I wouldn't be opposed to bringing back Chad Johnson if, if they want Olmark to get more starts down in the AHL, which I I can see it going either way. It depends on how how they want that split to be between Leonard and his backup. You know, if it's Olmark, I wouldn't want Olmark getting just 15 games next year fifteen to twenty games, I think that wouldn't be enough for him to take that next step forward, which I think yeah, you saw a lot of you saw a lot of downs during his time when he was when he was with the Sabres, but I think there is a lot of upside there. And I think you you risk throwing some of that away if he has an entire year where he only makes fifteen starts or something to that effect. And so I think it makes sense to keep him down in Rochester another year and to to bring in to bring back Chad Johnson or bring in another guy like him to be a stopgap backup until the year after when Omar can come up. And if the Sabres are out of the playoffs again next year, maybe that backup could be somebody you move at the deadline and bring up Omar to get some starts down the stretch. You know, who knows? Obviously that's that's thinking far ahead, but I think it's a good problem to have and it's that that Chad Johnson has played well enough where we're having this discussion Despite, you know, him being when the Sabres traded Neuvert away to the Islanders, really, Chad Johnson they took back, I think to get a slightly higher pick and and just to have a goalie well they thought they were gonna have a goalie down the stretch, he ended up he ended up getting hurt um, and being out for the rest of the year. But to have, bring somebody back basically as a cap dump and for him to have turned into a valuable part of the team was was pretty cool. So I guess enough about all the developments. I guess I'll talk a little bit about um, to just the Jamie McGinn trade because I think that happened right after my last podcast. And I was extremely happy with with that trade. I won't say too much more beyond that, but I was about his value. I pegged it at a I pegged it at a third, the the possibility to get a second is really gravy at that point and I think it was the right move I think if, if they really want McGinn back in the offseason they can see what his price looks like make him a fair offer he seemed to like it here get along with Eichel and get along with the team he obviously has known Ryan O'Reilly for a little while having been teammates with him before but to get an asset for him was important and I don't think he should be in this team's long-term plans. You look at all the pieces that they have and how they're going to probably bring in another winger or two this offseason and guys they have coming up through the system. Justin Bailey came up and impressed. You have Hudson Fashing, who may be beating down the door for a spot as soon as next year. I I don't really think there's a spot for him in the lineup, especially when he really only does one thing well, and that's score goals, and he doesn't bring much else to the table. So I don't think that he's going to be back, and I think it was – the right move to, to bring back an asset for him. I wish him all the best of luck in Anaheim, and I know who I'm now going to be rooting for out west because there is an incentive for the Sabers for the Ducks to do well. And you know I I've always respected the Ducks at least. I haven't always loved them. I lo- I liked them a lot back in the in the Paul Korea days, and I've rooted for them in some playoff runs. Uh, but I think they're they're very well run, and I would love to see. Them do well, and for the Sabers to get something out of it, to get a second rounder versus a third rounder, so liked that move a lot. Uh, I was somewhat expecting maybe some other, some other deal to come out of nowhere just because of how unpredictable Murray is, but nothing, nothing came. Which we don't know what kind of deals were talked about, how close other things were, but I do think he's going to be busy in this off season as well, and he always seems to be, always seems to be busy at least compared to what we're used to from the Darcy gear days. Um, so the Sabres play the Habs on, on Wednesday night. The Habs have continued to plot along without Carey Price and are now only five points ahead of the Sabres in the standings. So the Habs have 70 points, Sabres have 65. It's been a really disappointing year for the Canadians, and they still have their big guns. It's been a bad year for Canadian teams in general. Um, but i think especially for them with the expectations they had the start that they had and then for price to go down and it just goes to show how reliant they are on on carry price and how tough it is to win in this league when you're that dependent on a goaltender and if that goaltender goes down you are absolutely screwed and i think it's 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 more sustainable and i think you can be more sustainable you can be a contender for longer and to be a more sustainable contender, if that makes sense, when you were built around position players, and you know, when you're built around, um, you know, your horses down the middle at center. Say, if you're, you know, you're built around Jack Eichel and Ryan O'Reilly, and you know, a rock solid number one defenseman, or some, something like that. Uh, I think that's sustainable for a much longer period of time. And if one of those guys goes down, it's also more sustainable being dependent on just one guy like they are so dependent on on one guy and it being your goaltender i think it's it's extremely tough and that's why i never really pick them in the playoffs a lot of times people want to pick them because the the sentiment is you know a, a hot goalie can win you a championship if he's hot enough but i think we saw it in buffalo even Dominic Kashik, who in his prime, he may have been the most dominant goaltender this league has ever seen in his prime with the Sabres when he carried them to the Stanley Cup Finals in 1999. In those few years there, that's as good of a peak as any goalie has had in NHL history, and it may be the best. They still couldn't win a championship. They were so dependent on him and still couldn't win a championship with him and i think the the Habs are in a very similar position with Carey Price. Their lineup in front of in front of him is actually i would argue probably better than those Saber teams were. But Hashik also his his prime is better than Price's prime as as good as Price is. But i think they're they're going to have to make a lot of changes. They're going to have a high pick this year which will be nice. They'll be able to add another elite talent uh, they were able to do well in getting Galchenyuk when they had a they had a really down year uh, that was what three or four years ago, and they were able to get a high pick and get Galchenyuk who has had a very good year, uh, but they've got a lot of other changes that they have to make and I think their their depth is is poor they're probably gonna they're probably gonna get a new coach which needs to be done I think um, for Terrian to be back next year would really wouldn't be fair to Montreal fans, and the guy's had his chance, they've made some good runs, but he, he's not a good coach, and I think that, that job would be very desirable for a lot of high-level coaches, they'd be able to bring in somebody great, there's probably going to be some unexpected firing this year, you know, maybe somebody like a Todd McClellan was last offseason, and they should be able to snag a pretty good coach, uh, so I all is not lost. You'll have Price coming back. I mean, you have your number one defenseman in, in Subban. You've got Pat Chiretti, You've got Galchenyuk. You've got some other more complimentary guys like Plakanich and and Gallagher. I don't know if I'd call him a complimentary guy. Uh, but you've got some good core pieces. It's, it's just more about adding to the depth. The The depth on that team is is, is pretty bad, and that's been a big reason why they've struggled with injuries one of the big reasons why they haven't been able to win in the playoffs. So they're going to have a lot of work to do. I I, I do like Bergevin a lot. Uh, I think he's he's a good GM, and I think that he's going to make the moves that they need to make uh, to have a better chance going into next year. I think the biggest thing he has to do is change coaching and hopefully come out with a with an elite or borderline elite talent in in the draft. Uh Obviously, where they are right now in the standings, I don't, I don't know. They're they're definitely not going to get an elite guy unless they happen to, to win one of those top three spots in the lottery. But they can get a, a, a pretty high level prospect, and the, the, the top end of this draft is is pretty good. Uh, obviously, I don't I don't want them to do well. Uh, like, I hate to see what the what the Leafs are doing, and I I think they're making a lot of very smart moves. And I hate to say it that they're that they're making smart moves, but. Um, if I was in their position, that's what that's what my advice would be, and it'll be interesting to see. I, I think they're gonna have one of the more interesting off seasons among among teams. I think this division as a whole is gonna have a pretty interesting off season uh, because Toronto's is gonna be very very interesting to watch too. You know, what do they end up doing with Marner? Um, are they gonna make a big splash? Somebody like Stamkos. Then you look at you know Stamkos is in Tampa Bay, also in this division. What's Tampa going to do with Stamkos? They've got a lot of guys that they've got to lock up long-term, a lot of other young guys. Um, Buffalo, what do they try to do to, to take the next step forward? Uh, so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. And The Sabres always seem to do well against the Habs, so I'm cautiously optimistic the Sabres are going to be able to come out with a win and hopefully be energized with, with O'Reilly's return. But thank you so much for listening. And once again, I really do apologize for – that long hiatus. And hopefully that doesn't happen again. Uh, But I appreciate anybody who's out there still bearing with me. And um, hopefully I will have a post-game podcast after the game tomorrow night. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a great night.